CTBK is more than just a full-service accounting firm. They are one team with an innovative approach that takes on each new challenge with collaborative problem-solving skills to provide creative solutions for their clients. Based right here in Western New York, CTBK is a champion for your business and our community. Additionally, CTBK goes beyond tax and attest services by offering a wide array of consulting and outsourced solutions tailored to meet the unique needs of your business, allowing you to focus on your operational and long-term strategic goals. Whether you're a large corporation, a small business, or somewhere in between, the team at CTBK is determined to help you succeed. Visit ctbk.com or call 716-630-2400, 716-630-2400 to learn how CTBK's one-team approach can work for you. Welcome to another Sports Equinox edition of Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and business consultants. I'm Tim Graham of The Athletic here with my co-host Jonah Bronstein of Bronstein Enterprises. And we have the Bills at the halfway point, or at least for people of our vintage, Jonah, the traditional halfway point of eight games, which is what the NFL schedule was from 1978 until just recently. So the Bills uh, have gotten to their eight-game point with uh, five wins, three losses. Uh, The trade deadline is tomorrow. We can talk about that. Uh, We got uh, UB at Toledo on ESPN2 tomorrow night. The Sabres shut out the avalanche over the weekend. Maybe they're finally starting to figure some things out offensively, even as uh, their goaltending situation gets even more in flux. And, um, of course, there's uh, the World Series going on with Amherst High's Jonah Heim uh, with the Texas Rangers uh, going up against uh, Super Bison, Tori Lavello and his Arizona Diamondbacks. So, I'll let you pick, Jonah. Where do you want to start? Oh, just to acknowledge a Western New Yorker in the World Series, it's been it's been a decade since a player that was born in Western New York. Kevin Segrist was born in Lewiston, went to high school in Florida, and was a relief pitcher for the Cardinals 10 years ago. And then before that, it's 30 years. Dave Hollins, who we mentioned on the last podcast, is the last Western New Yorker to hit a home run in the baseball postseason. Uh, now Jonah Hive's the first player since Hollins in the World Series, the first position player from Western New York. And it's, you know, Jonah Himes, a guy who's got the Buffalo skyline tattooed on his arm and he comes back in the summers and he has his high school coach and his high school best friend and teammate in the stands in Texas for games one and two. So it does give a Western New York rooting interest, even though uh, the manager of the Diamondbacks and some other players involved in the world series also have Buffalo ties to the Bisons. Well, look, I've always thought that Bison's connections uh, are always a stretch because I don't really feel that people pay that close of attention to the Bisons, or at least not the casual, even the casual baseball fan or even the serious baseball fan. I I know a lot of serious baseball fans who don't go to Bison's games um, and you kind of, you know, the you're really stretching it uh, again to use that word uh, when it comes to forcing a Buffalo connection. Jonah Himes actually from here, Amherst High School. It's not even uh, we're not even stretching the boundaries. It's not as though he's from the Rochester area or the Finger Lakes. I mean, this guy's Amherst High School. He's an all-star. Um, he's really good. He's a key player. Uh, he is making big plays uh, as the catcher. He's involved in every play, but um, hitting home runs and. Uh, and then Tori Lavolo, I think he was more bison than most bison. So I guess that's a that's an all right pull there. But usually 
you know, I don't think that people care that a guy passed through the Bisons for half a summer or um, even managed here. I mean, whatever. They're just passing through. Uh, they're not from here. Occasionally, they, they do meet somebody, fall in love. Eric Wedge, I think, still lives in Western New York, former Bisons manager, former AL manager of the year with the Cleveland Indians. So, yeah, uh, there are some who are more, there are degrees of it, but in general. Uh, so, yeah, Jonah Heim, very cool story. Now, you've you've written about that. Did write about that for WIBB.com last week, talking to his high school coach and collecting some comments that Jonah's made in national MLB network interviews coming into the week and just kind of marking the occasion of having a Western New Yorker in the World Series for first time in a decade and first time in, in over a generation to have this kind of everyday all-star player uh, as one of the teams competing for a championship. And he could be the first. Western New Yorker, then it would be in 32 years. Mark Luthrie won with the Braves in 1991. Uh, he was another person who was born in Buffalo, left the area by the time he was drafted into the MLB, but had kind of maintains that Buffalonian aspect. And, and he's the last local to win a World Series, win a championship. We'll see how this goes with Texas Rangers. It's side 1-1 going into game three is going on right now while we're recording. Um, yeah. Well, it's it also feels like hockey season finally after a couple of weeks of I think Western New York sports fans wondering if we're going to put the Sabers on the shelf uh, for a little bit. We'll we'll maybe come back and check in on the Sabers in a month and see what's going on. They actually have woken up a bit, um, not maybe more than a bit, uh, shutting out one of the best teams in the Western Conference on a weekend when the Bills aren't playing. So a little more attention being placed on the Sabres on Sunday afternoon. Colorado comes to town and the Sabres uh, whip their ass. Uh, and it's it's a feel-good game for the Sabres after what they've been through, the slow start, the turbulence, wondering what's going to come of this three-goalie situation, which unfortunately is sorting itself out because of injuries. Devin Levi having his general soreness, which – uh, a little bit of a red flag and 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 lends itself to the idea that the Sabres are leaning on this kid a little bit too much too early. Uh, and uh, Eric Comrie uh, with the knee and then Ukapeka Lukanen, who looked great in his previous game um, and then gives up a bunch of goals late, or I guess I should say his previous start, uh, and then comes back against Colorado and locks down that first career NHL shutout gets you into, a, I think if you're a Sabres fan, a pretty good place as you're heading into games against the Philadelphia Flyers uh, and old friend Daniel Briere. And then, of course, uh, on Friday, the arch rival Toronto Maple Leafs, a little juice uh, with the Sabres now this week. Actually got a home and home with the Flyers and then that Leafs game yeah. coming up on Saturday. But, oh, I'm sorry. Um, I thought it was uh, Leafs is Saturday. Leafs Saturday. Flyers okay, got it. Back I, th I thought Buffalo it was Friday, Friday night. Um, yeah, I, you know, having three NHL goalies at this point is looking like a little bit of an asset for the Sabers, where some thought it might be a detriment at the start of the season or, or make some roster maneuvering difficult carrying the three goalies. And now with two of them hurt, uh, having UPL available and ready to play and playing one of the better games of his career. Now the Sabres played probably their best defense in front of the goaltender of the season against UPL with UPL in the net against Colorado. And that contributed a lot to him being able to get a shutout with, you know, only 24 saves, but in Colorado is a very good team. Stanley cup championship two years ago, we're six, Oh, six and Oh, 
coming into a road game that they lost in Pittsburgh before coming to Buffalo. And for the Sabres to win that convincingly against another good team, a team that had won in its last six trips to Buffalo prior to that, uh, that's encouraging. Now, Colorado maybe was a little bit of a get-out-of-town game and not playing at their best at the end of a road trip and ready to get back home and regroup a little bit. But the Sabres are trending up, at least in terms of scoring more goals and looking like and letting in fewer goals, even though the record isn't quite where you would want it to be and they're not in playoff position quite yet. Over the last week or so, it does seem like this team is playing better, playing more consistently, and looking like a team that can start stringing some more wins together. Yeah, I do want to clarify the schedule because I had it in my mind this home and home against the Flyers was on back-to-back nights, uh, Wednesday, Thursday. It's not. There's Wednesday, then there's a day off, and then uh, the Flyers uh, – come to Key Bank Center on Friday night, then the Sabres go to play the Maple Leafs uh, on Saturday, uh, and then off to Carolina next Tuesday. So, uh, and then Minnesota comes here, the Penguins are here. No, then at the Penguins. Anyways, uh, a rougher group of teams coming up. Uh, Some games in which I think we're going to learn a lot about the Sabres coming up. Well, and if you want to take a little bit of a glass-empty approach and looking at the Sabres, you look back at what the schedule has been so far and opening the season with six of the first nine games at home. And if you had looked at the schedule before the season started, you kind of thought it was an opportunity for the Sabres to get off to a good start, get on a roll, rack up some points, because they do have some longer road trips and tougher stretches later in the season. And that the fact that they only have four wins and they're less than a point per game coming out of this first nine-game stretch it's not concerning, but you it could come to a point later in the season where you look back at that start and think the Sabres needed more points and more wins early on at home that they were going to need later on. Yeah, six out of nine at home, like you said, four out of five uh, to start the season at home and stumbled a bit. It seemed like an opportunity to really make a statement early, and uh, clearly the, the Sabres were out of sorts uh, exiting training camp in the preseason and, and starting the season but seem to be finding their way. What would you just say, uh, Jonah, has been the um, the mood in the in the dressing room uh, regarding the Sabres now that they're starting to get going a little bit more? Alex Tuck gets a goal, which seemed to be a, a load off of him. He had been playing well, just not scoring, and it seemed to be manifesting, or at least not manifesting, festering uh, with him. Uh, and then he gets that goal, seemed to be one of those – classic hockey moments where a really good player uh despite all of his success in the past was maybe doubting himself a little bit yeah and tuck had a really nice assist in the game yesterday against colorado he's got four points in the last three games you know the mood has changed game to game because it's been a bit of a trading wins and losses situation for the sabers i'm not there for the road games i'm sure it's been a different reaction the way some of those games ended and some of the circumstances and the fights and things like that that happened in Ottawa, evolving Alex Tuck in that case. But the mood coming out of when they had lost to Montreal a week before, they lost the game, but there was a belief that, you know, they played well enough to win and that the offense was there and the goals were going to come and that they, they deserved to win that game. Now, yesterday they beat Colorado and also played a way that they felt like they deserved to win and a little bit validating to what they were saying earlier after some losses, that they feel like they're playing their game. That's what Don Granato keeps saying, and that the wins are going to come, the scoring is going to come, 
They still probably need to focus on playing better defensive hockey all over the ice from all the different positions and in the right situations. And the goaltending, even though it was good in the last game and has been good at points this season, is still inconsistent and a big question mark. But I think the vibe, it's not vibes like it's been for the Sabres where, you know, they they got off to better starts the past two seasons and they were surprisingly good starts that made it a very feel-good story. There's a more pressure and I think there's a less a more muted excitement when the team plays well right now than there had been in the past couple seasons. But you're still seeing that vibe of confidence that this team, even with a losing record, feels like they're a competitive team and pushing for the playoffs despite some losses early on that, that don't put them in that standing position right away. Yeah, Philadelphia Flyers, I just wanted to get a 30,000-foot view. They're uh, they're uh, right ahead of the of the Sabres. Uh, in the standings, which doesn't mean much right now, uh, but uh, through eight games, they have 28 goals. They've given up 25, um, which is a little bit better than middle of the pack in terms of uh, scoring anyway. Uh, but the goaltending uh, has not been there uh, for the Flyers. Uh, so winnable games, competitive games, um, et cetera. I don't know. I mean, maybe we're, I don't know if we're looking too much into it, but I mean, when you start, you know, it is still October, at least for another couple of days, but um, teams miss out on the postseason by a point. Uh, they lose on tiebreakers. You know, these games do count just as much in terms of value uh, the, as they do in, in February and March. So I don't know, maybe we're not looking too much into it. Maybe it just seems silly because there's so much season to go, but, Every game does count. Uh, Jonah, the uh, Buffalo Bills, five and three uh, at the traditional halfway point. There are nine games left, but I will say four at home, five on the road. And as we've talked about uh, quite a bit on this podcast, the back end of this schedule, a lot different than the first part of the schedule. And it really begins Sunday night at Cincinnati they do return home for a couple of games. Uh, they host the Broncos and the Jets, a team in Denver just knocked off the Chiefs. It's maybe a fluke, probably a fluke. I don't know that Denver is uh, gonna has figured things out and they're going to come to Orchard Park in a couple of weeks and, and be a, a existential threat to the Bills' playoff hopes. Um, but then the Jets, a team that's already beaten the Bills and a defense that gives them fits. Then at Philadelphia... The Bills then have their bye week, then at Kansas City, home against the Cowboys, at the Chargers in Los Angeles two days before Christmas, then at home against the Patriots, finishing the season at Miami. So in three weeks, the Bills will have only two home games left and four road games against pretty tough competition. Um, is there... What's your general take on the Bills here, as I keep loosely calling it the halfway point? Uh, and are they at risk of not making the playoffs? I think even though it's not as early as it is in the NHL season, I think it's too early to tell, especially with the Bills having a winning record. And if the playoffs ended today, they would be one of the wildcard teams and they're in position. And if you look at the AFC standings, there's a lot of teams with losing records. So, you know, it might not be a difficult to get that seventh seed or whatnot. However, 
I think you got to be concerned with the Bills. The past three weeks, I mean, I think three weeks ago, we were looking ahead to this Cincinnati game and assuming that the Bills had three easy games, three get-right games, and they would, you know, be in a great position and did not expect, you know, either they won two of the games, but did not expect them to either lose any of the games or have as much difficulty as they did beating the Giants and, and difficulty pulling away and uh, slamming the door shut on Tampa Bay in that game last week, especially the home team on a Thursday night. You usually don't see the visiting team kind of rally late the way that happened. That could be a little bit concerning. The injuries the Bills have accrued on defense along the way uh, seems to potentially lower their ceiling of what they could do in the postseason or how far this team can actually go. But, you know, it's an opportunity here against the team that beat them in the playoffs last year and one of the other Super Bowl contenders in the league. And if the Bills do win on the road and play well against the Bengals, which they did not do in either of their opportunities last year, I think that changes a lot of the perspective about the Bills. So it's an opportunity here, I think, to have a lot more confidence or a lot more belief internally and externally in the Bills. And if they don't win the game, I think you kind of got to see how they look and see where they're at after that to really discern how concerning that would be. Well, how much of a buyer should Brandon Bean be at the trade deadline? I'm asking rhetorically uh, before I open it up to you, Jonah. I, I think that the Bills do need some help. Brandon Bean has in the past shown signs of uh, making acquisitions at the trade deadline in anticipation of what he may need later down the home stretch, most notably Dean Marlowe last year. Jordan Poyer was in and out of the lineup, getting banged up with the way that he plays and at his age. Uh, DeMar Hamlin was healthy at the time. Micah Hyde, of course, was out for the season. But Brandon Bean identifying the safety position as one that he wanted to solidify, lo and behold, Dean Marlowe is playing uh, significant minutes uh, later in the season and starting in the two postseason game. Now, you're not going to anticipate what happened to DeMar Hamlin in week 17 at Cincinnati, but Brandon Bean, again, that's just my way of saying a guy who may be shoring up positions more than going after the headline um, the headline acquisition uh, tomorrow. I, I will say, I, I know that it's sexy to talk about offensive players uh, because the Bills have a really good offense already and adding a superstar like I know that uh, the the Titans have said they're not going to trade Derrick Henry, but as of a couple of days ago, there were these bullshit rumor websites that had uh, Derrick Henry coming to the Bills and people, uh, you know, uh, chubbing up over the idea of Derrick Henry coming to the Bills. I don't see the Bills in need of offensive help. I see them in need of desperate defensive spackle. You know, they need uh, some linebacker help. Um, AJ Klein clearly isn't it. Yeah, you know, if AJ Klein was a worthwhile player, then he would be on the field at some point. The Bills wouldn't have cut him however many times they have over the last couple of years, put him on the practice squad, cut him, brought him back, elevate him for a game, back down, whatever. Um, but I do think that there's been a huge drop-off in the tandem of Matt Milano, Terrell Bernard and the tandem of Terrell Bernard as the lead dog and either Dorian Williams or Terrell Dodson. And I think that the Bills clearly don't know what they want to do with that second linebacker spot too because sometimes it's Dorian Williams, sometimes it's Terrell Dodson. It depends on the circumstance, who's starting, who's not starting. Um, I, I don't know what's out there in terms of linebackers um, or cornerbacks. Teams aren't just giving away cornerbacks. So 
I don't know. I mean, this is just a hunch. I don't have inside info, but I would think that the odds would say that defensive line help again, uh, Daquan Jones being out doesn't hurt nearly as much when Ed Oliver's on the field, but if Ed Oliver can't play, we just saw two weeks ago, what a big difference that was when the Patriots were gashing the bills interior, uh, and running when they wanted to and screen passes and crossing. I mean, all these types of things that the Patriots were doing against the bills first and second levels, um, forcing them to go sideline to sideline at times when they really just don't have the ability that as good of ability as they, as they used to, um, so I, I would I would think that Brandon Bean's looking for help at at interior defensive line and at linebacker. That said, it could be depth more than it is somebody who you can plug in, be a starter, and make the defense look like it did before Matt Milano and Daquan Jones suffered their injuries. Right. Well, the Bills mostly need help in areas where they've suffered injuries, injury replacements for starting players and they've signed veterans the practice squad to get by so far today and, and reportedly doing that again with Leonard Fournette at running back uh, today into tomorrow. I don't expect the Bills to make a big splash move. I think that these veteran names that they're signing off the street are probably bigger names than some of the players that they might bring in in a trade. That doesn't mean I don't think that they couldn't find a valuable player uh to fill in depth-wise, as you mentioned, the spackle on defense at linebacker or really any of the positions besides safety, I think they could use some help. The intrigue seems to be more whether they will trade away Kair Elam and whether that is, you know, I think the conversation to have there is whether that's really a good idea at the place where his value is and if the Bills get better in the short and long term by making a quick decision there with him. He's still on his rookie contract. He was a first-round pick. You're going to have to find a team that wants to take him and his contract. Um, that could be easier said than done, but that clearly would free up some flexibility uh, for the Bills to do some other things. Um, but uh, he's not in their plans. Uh, they would not have uh, any second thoughts in saying goodbye to, to Kyrie Elam. That would not be a tough um, departure for the Bills front office to stomach uh, if they were able to f- get something out of him or for him, I should say. Isn't that um, a little I, – I would say – I would argue that's that's rather quick to give up on a first-round pick and Kyrie Elam or, a, you know, really any first-round player with, with that kind of talent and pedigree seems to be the type of player you'd want to trade for at, you know, a reduced rate at the trade deadline, and you don't necessarily want to be the team giving away first-round picks. And, and what are the Bills going to get back for him if it's a future draft pick? How does that really help this injury depleted defense right now uh, doing that? Well, it could be a um, a move in advance of another move, you know, to create some salary cap space or whatever. I don't know, but um, yeah. It would create a, like a million and a half in salary cap room, but that's, that's not a lot. No, it's not. It's not there. I mean, but maybe it's one, one move in there, but yeah, a lot of people are talking about, Kyrie Elam as though he is a coveted piece, maybe on a team that really values his bump and run ability and has uh, had high reports or out of him, of him coming out of uh, college. Uh, but with the bills, it just hasn't translated. So maybe there's a team out there and, and let, let's face it. There almost always is a scout or general manager out there who will convince their team that this guy is a, is that we can figure this guy out. Uh, let's get him into our building and we'll be able to fix him 
Now, I don't know if Kyrie Elam has that type of ceiling that teams are going to be willing to part with an asset to to give that a shot. But if the Bills aren't asking much, I, I guess we'll we'll see in the in the next few hours. Uh, putting you on the spot because I didn't have you prepped for this, but is there like a player of the midpoint, Jonah, that uh, um, that has maybe been the most surprising or person who's unsung hero type uh, who should be getting more credit than they are? Or the biggest disappointment, something like that? I, I would Before I got hurt, I would have said Daquan Jones was the unsung hero of the defense and playing very, very well. Uh, I think you saw a little bit of that with Kuna Ford had a good game coming in there against Tampa Bay, and he's, you know, helped fill in the gaps there defensively. And then the offensive line as a whole, one, being healthy, and two, playing well. I think that they've gotten good play on the offensive line, and that's um, something for the Bills to be, you know, encouraged by because there were some question marks about that coming out of last season and coming into this season with the moves that they've made. We're not talking about Spencer Brown a lot anymore. Um, After week two, uh, it's kind of been, okay, the, the offensive line has just been there, which is what you want out of it, your offensive line. Uh, you're not talking about dumb penalties, at least not regular dumb penalties. Um, we're not talking about Josh Allen getting destroyed by anybody or, you know, it's, yeah, there are some places that you'd like some improvement here and there, but by and large, I think that the offensive line has been fabulous. Um all the players who are supposed to play well have been. Osiris Torrance, uh, the 59th overall pick, has has played like a like a veteran. Um, so yeah, uh, I think the offensive line is uh, probably deserves more credit uh, than it gets on a regular basis. The biggest uh, concern I would have about the Bills right now this is usually tied to the offensive line, but in this case, not really. Is Josh Allen's shoulder and Josh Allen's health and. How many weeks is that going to linger? Is there a possibility if he takes another hit, does that get worse? Will he be this reduced version of himself like he was for several weeks with the elbow injury last year or unwilling to run and take as many hits because he's protecting his shoulder? Or will this injury heal up and really not be a thing after another couple of weeks? But how much longer the Josh Allen shoulder saga continues, I think is the biggest uh, point of concern with the Buffalo Bills right now. Yeah, I think that my unsung hero or somebody who has been underappreciated so far is Gabriel Davis. And I know that he's almost like a default setting for uh, a place where the Bills can improve. Uh, He's been a disappointment, blah, blah, blah. But he is actually on pace to have the best season of his career in terms of catches, in terms of yardage. Uh, According to uh, Pro Football Reference, he has only two drops on the entire season. His drop percentage is at a career low of 4.3%. So, yeah, I do know that you can go back only two weeks. You need to go back and find where he had one catch for six yards, but that's not necessarily his fault. He can't throw himself the ball. Um, He's had big games. He's had a touchdown in all but three games this year. Um, So I think Gabriel Davis is somebody that Bills fans have just gotten used to uh, writing off or kicking around or whatever. I think he's having a really good year and uh, and deserves a little bit more. Biggest disappointment, I don't know, Terrell Dodson maybe. I mean, he was a guy who Von Miller was laughing at the media for suggesting that somebody else would uh, get that starting linebacker job uh, back in training camp, and uh, he's having trouble being the third best. Uh, even with Matt Milano out, Terrell Dodson uh, isn't exactly um, – 
you know, the most reliable player in Sean defenses, uh, Sean, Sean McDermott's defense. Um, another, another disappointment has been Von Miller, not really giving the bills anything through the first half of the season. Don't know how much longer that's going to continue or if he's going to find his conditioning and rhythm and regain, you know, confidence and explosion from that leg, or if that's going to be something that doesn't happen until the following season. And, you know, if Von Miller's not himself and Josh Allen maybe isn't uh, have all his superpowers for whatever reason right now, and you already got Tredavious White on injured reserve and Matt Milano on injured reserve, that's a lot of star power, a lot of wattage in that regard that the Bills don't have. A lot of money. And they still are a lot of money committed to somebody who's uh, not not contributing as much as A.J. Epinesa. Yeah, and can, how far can an NFL team go without its very best players and without its very best players healthy and playing up to their full potential? The Bills have a deep roster and a lot of good players and I think have a high floor, but is that ceiling a little bit lower with the way things are going health-wise and just not having, other than Stephon Diggs, not having too many of their best players playing at that all-pro level right now? I want to make one quick mention before we switch over to UB uh, and then wrap things up. Uh, we'll do a little quick one here, and then we're going to come back later in the week uh, with another uh, Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK. Um, you know, this concept of Josh Allen spreading the ball around. Um, we were asking Josh about it. He was very happy about the fact that he was spreading the ball around. He made a, uh, you know, a, with a with a wink, uh, said that uh, I'll let you guys out there, uh, meaning us reporters, uh discuss what he did better in that game Thursday night against the Buccaneers to which I came back and said, all right, Josh, yeah, we can say what we think is better, but what did you think you did well tonight? What was, what was refreshing for you? And the first words out of his mouth were spread the ball around. He didn't really spread the ball around. I think that the concept of spreading the ball around is one thing. I just want to bring up the game book here. Um, he just he just threw it to guys who weren't Stefan Diggs. Uh, if that's not technically spreading the ball around it, to me, it almost comes off as code of I got other guys involved at the expense of Stefan Diggs because spreading the ball around, I'm using finger quotes, spreading the ball around on Thursday night involved four receivers, a grand total of four receivers who got more than one target. James Cook got one target. Latavius Murray got one target. Beyond that, only four other guys were thrown the ball. Gabriel Davis, 12 targets for nine catches, 87 yards, and a touchdown. Khalil Shakir, six targets, caught them all for 92 yards. And then Dalton Kincaid had his, you know, maybe not a, his breakout game uh, because he had a he's put together a couple good ones in a row, but five catches on seven targets. 65 yards, including the touchdown from 22 yards. Um, I, I just think it was interesting, and I, I've been thinking about it since Thursday night, this concept of spreading it around. He's thrown it to more people several times this year. He's There was no Deontay Hardy target. There was no Trent Sherfield target. Dawson Knox and Quentin Morris were not on the field because they're injured. So spreading the ball around? Um. I think it's, I think that is a kind of a little bit of admission that they know they need to not worry about keeping Stefan Diggs fed 
and they need to get the ball to these other guys because it's there, it makes the offense move, and it's not really about diversifying or giving the defense more players to guard because or more players to think about because really the only four players who got the ball were the four people who run the routes on pretty much every play. Yeah, and Trent Sherfield and Deontay Hardy through the first half of the season haven't had as big of a role as it seemed like they might in training camp or coming into the season. Um, Dalton Kincaid was kind of that slot receiver, third receiver. And now with the Dawson Knox injury, the Bills seem to probably be shifting towards more of a 11 personnel, one tight end, three wide receivers, uh, base offense, as opposed to playing the two tight ends as much as they did early in the season and said they wanted to do after drafting Kincaid. I don't know if we saw enough in the Buccaneers games to say, uh, I think there were signs that the Bills might be better with three wide receivers on the field, which was their favorite formation over the past few years. And, and when the offense was at its best with Cole Beasley in the slot, uh, you know, that's what you saw in almost every down. But Dalton Kincaid is an excellent receiver who's, uh, you know, a rookie and a young player and probably not as good of a blocker and not as good of an all around tight end as Dawson Knox or what you want in that position. Will that cause some issues for the Bills offense or will having three wide receivers plus Dalton Kincaid as the tight end open the offense up even more? And you did see a little bit of that in the first half. Well, I thought it was interesting, Jonah, to to that point about Dalton Kincaid. Um, the Buccaneers entered that game or they entered week eight as, as the team that blitzes the third most uh, in the entire NFL. And Dalton Kincaid ran a route on every play. Uh, the I, I thought we'd see him be forced to block because he was the only tight end dressed. Uh, I guess you get know, of Reggie Gilliam and you could do some things like that, but uh, David Andrews or an eligible, uh, eligible lineman. Uh, but Dalton Kincaid was still just a receiving tight end uh, on, on uh, Thursday and it was fine. They, they handled it well. Yeah. You're, you're kind of in a four wide receiver alignment now with, Dalton Kincaid is the main tight end. And the Bills have done very well with the more spread formations over the years. Josh Allen seems more comfortable in that, but that's the Josh Allen that is quick to pull down the ball and run and put defenses in tough positions, which he did on occasion against the Buccaneers last week. But it's been said, and we've seen the evidence of, that the Bills don't want that to be as big a part of their offensive diet this year as it was in past years. Uh, UB at Toledo. On Tuesday night, uh, that game is on ESPN2. So the UB Bulls uh, getting back on national TV. Where Jonah, of course, you follow uh, UB way, way closer than I do. Um, this is uh, Toledo's a good team. Uh, is this, uh, well, I don't know. I'll just yeah. Well, I'll, well, feel free to tell us place. what you think yeah. about UB, uh, where they are as they head into this game. UB coming off a win. They won at Kent State uh, this past weekend, not this past weekend, but the weekend before. And they uh, it was their best defensive effort of the season and, and probably their best win, best performance in a win. And even though they have a 3-5 and five overall record, they're 3-1 and one in the MAC, which was tied for the MAC East lead. Now Miami just won another game over the weekend. So UB would have to win this game against Toledo to keep pace with Miami in the division standings. Uh, Toledo's favored by 15 and a half points. They're the best team in the MAC, the undefeated team in the West Division, and seven and one overall. Uh, so it's going to be a difficult game for UB. But UB beat Toledo last year, 
And I, I do think they have an opportunity to compete and play well and maybe have an opportunity to win this game. UB needs to win three of the last four games to be bowl eligible. Um, three of the last four might put them in, in a possibility to win the division at six and two. But, you know, they, they're really putting their backs against the wall with another loss. Then they have to win the last three. And those are difficult games. Ohio's a good team in the division who they play at home next week. Miami looks like the best team in the division. They play them on the road in two weeks. Um, so while this Toledo game is probably the most difficult game on their schedule, um, it is a game that can really be a fulcrum point and do a lot for UB season if they are able to go in there and pull out the road upset. And they finish their regular season and probably their season, but maybe they'll have a bowl game. But uh, they they wrap up right before Thanksgiving uh, at home against Eastern Eastern Michigan. Um, I, I think I've been saying this for weeks about UB, but this is a game where, you know, if they win, then I think you're really looking at a, a bowl eligible season and still in the thick of the Mac East race and a possibility to go and compete for the Mac championship. And if they lose, they're not out of it, but they're very, very close to having a season where they're no longer relevant, uh, you know, after one or two more losses. All right, Jonah. Thanks. Um, and thanks to everybody out there for uh, watching and listening. Tim Graham and friends brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and business consultants. Please mash that like button, uh, rate us, subscribe to us, do all those things um, because it helps us. It helps uh, promote us on the different platforms. Uh, they all have their different algorithms and the things that they like to do. Uh, so the more that you uh, support us, uh, the better it is for everyone, the better access that we get, uh, placement, uh, whatever other circle jerk things uh, you can think of. Um, and it's just cool for us to see when the likes and the comments rack up and, and we know. That yeah, we, I guess that I, that's maybe one of the bigger things is we know that people are actually watching and listening, that they give a shit. Um but yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks to everybody out there. We have been getting some comments uh, underneath. I mean, not a ton, but happy to turn uh, the comments underneath the uh, the YouTube channel uh, videos uh, into a little forum. Uh, people have been asking questions. I've been answering um, as uh, it's actually helpful. It uh, gets me off Twitter that much more. Um, all right, Jonah, thanks for this. Thanks to everybody out there for Paying us any mind on Tim Graham and Friends, brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and business consultants. The financial needs of a business go beyond tax and attest services. That's why CTBK goes beyond accounting services and offers outsourced solutions through their affiliation with CFO Solutions Plus. These additional services allow clients to focus on their operational and long-term strategic goals. Trust CTBK's outsourced solutions to provide cost-effective, value-added financial services tailored to your company's needs. Call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400. Or go to ctbk.com to learn more about CTBK's outsourced solutions.